Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to Yahweh, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among nations, his wonderful works among all peoples. For the Lord is great and is highly praised. He is feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory of his name. Bring an offering and enter his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, The Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. He judges the people fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them exult. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his faithfulness. The uh, next reading is from Revelations. It's chapter 14 and it's verses 1 to 12. It's on page 1134 of your church Bibles. Then I looked... And there on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I heard a sound from heaven, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder. The sound I heard was also like harpists playing on their harps. They sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. But no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are the ones not defiled with women, for they have kept their virginity. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They were redeemed from the human race as the first fruits for God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying high overhead, having the eternal gospel to announce to the inhabitants of the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He spoke with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. A second angel followed, saying, It has fallen, Babylon the great has fallen. Who made all nations drink the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. And a third angel followed them and spoke with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is mixed full strength in the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest, 
day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or anyone who receives the mark of his name. This demands the perseverance of the saints who keeps God who keep God's commands and their faith in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Tyson and Gemma. Well read. Hello, everyone. Good evening. Good to be here. Uh, we've been away for two weekends. We were a week up in Seal Rock, so well rested and good to be back. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking at Psalm 96, so keep that open. Uh, but before we look at that, why don't I pray? Oh, our Father, we praise you that your word is living and active. Father, we pray that you would do a mighty work in us tonight as we look at this psalm. Uh, we pray that you would teach us to sing it, to sing your praises and know our Savior. Amen. Well, we're looking at uh, Psalm 96, and it is a psalm, a song that commands us to sing to our big God. So sing to the Lord a new song we get three times. I want to ask you, how big is your God? Is he worth singing about? A kids' church have got this song, My God is So Big. Join in if you know it, Tyson, you know it. Uh, it goes like this. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. That's true. Well done. <laughs> Mark Peacock's getting uh, right into you. can come to Kids Church next week. Um, how big is your God? See, here in Psalm 96, the bigness of your God is reflected in what comes out of your mouth. Uh, thankfully for uh, tone-deaf people like me, it's not just about singing, but what we say. What we say to our God, what we say about our God, who we say what about, uh, what we, who we talk to about our God. Just look at verse 10. This is the heart of the psalm. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The Lord, he's talking about Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, the creator of heaven and earth. But also the Lord revealed in real flesh and blood history in the person of Jesus Christ. He reigns now. Say it to the nations, this psalm says. See, at the heart of the Christian message is uh, the, the phrase, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord and he reigns. See, Jesus rules and he reigns over every single person on this planet. Whether they know he reigns, whether they reject that he reigns, or whether they accept that he reigns. Jesus is Lord. It's not easy to say that Jesus reigns when you flick on your TV and it looks like evil and suffering reign. Uh, when you wake up and get out your bed and it feels like sadness and pain reign in our world. Or you look at Sydney and see, well, if, if, if Jesus does reign, why on earth do they need him? Sydney is so good, why would they bother with him? Sometimes it feels like God has left the building, that he's gone out for a smoker and put the sign up in the window. And you read some Psalms like this, Psalm 96, and think, uh, was this written to plastic people? Was this actually written to people with real lives? 
Psalms 96 isn't written to smiley, happy people. It was written to God's people when they felt like God had left the building and abandoned them. And this psalm teaches them and it teaches us to say with great confidence that among the nations, the Lord reigns. So I'm going to attempt to teach us this song. I've got four points that are kind of like four musical directions. Apologies to the musicians if I use the wrong terminology and those phrases and you start cringing. Uh, I'm sorry about that, but we'll give it a bash. Anyway, uh, the first point tonight is that this is a song of salvation. That's an easy one. A song of salvation, verses 1 to 3. Sing a new song to the Lord. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to Yahweh. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His wonderful works among all peoples. What exactly are we to sing about? It's there in the verse. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Uh, The word proclaim is not a, a little word. It's a big word that describes a magnificent uh, military victory. It's where we get the word evangelism from, to proclaim the good news. Now, for the original readers who felt like God had forgotten them, they weren't meant to focus on their disappointment. They were meant to look at God's big acts of rescue in Old Testament history. Uh, They were to sing about God's rescue from the flood. God's rescue from Egypt, God's rescue from Babylon, from Assyria, the big superpowers of the day. But for us who live this side of the cross, we are to sing of the cross. We are to sing of God's extraordinary rescue in Jesus from hell, from sin and death for his new creation. An extraordinary rescue that we are to sing about. Do you notice our audience who we're to sing to? We're to sing to God himself. Sing to God himself so that the nations will listen in and look at the Lord. That's what we're to do. We often think that uh, uh, we're to sing to them directly. Here it says, well, we're to sing to God and they are to listen in. It's a bit like... And, excuse me again, it's a bit like when James Blunt sings, uh, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. Uh, We want to look at that woman, don't we? He's not singing to us. He's singing to a woman. And we want to look at her. And we know that she hasn't got a a broken nose and two cross eyes. She is beautiful. And so too, we are to sing to our beautiful God of his beautiful rescue in Jesus. When it says sing a new song, it doesn't say uh, make up new words, make up a new tune every day. It's commanding us to sing a fresh song. Sing a fresh song, as fresh as the day you were saved in Jesus. Sing a song like you've not grown tired of singing it. Sing a fresh song. Problem is, things don't get fresher, do they? Bread doesn't get fresher. James Blunt doesn't get fresher. Bread grows stale. Uh, Music grows stale. And our Christian song can grow stale. Uh, We can get complacent at the gospel. Uh, We can forget the wonder of the cross. 
and we can grow this kind of numbness at what God has done in us and for us. And so what happens when you grow numb and stale? You stay silent, don't you? You stay silent. And the nations that God has put in our lives, the people we live with, uh, people we work with, the people we live near, the people we spend time with, they don't hear about this great rescue. They don't hear of our song to our wonderful God. It's because our song can grow stale that we need each other. We need each other to keep singing that song. We need uh, to keep reminding each other of the gospel. Uh, uh, like Jeremy getting up here and reminding us what God has done in his life in Jesus. Doesn't that make you want to sing praises to our God when you hear of people come from death to life? We need to sing, to, sing our song in front of each other, reminding each other of what God has done for us on the cross in Jesus. Doing it as a church, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because as we hear each other's song, we're inspired to sing a fresh song to God. And so those who live near us, who work with us, who spend time with us, will hear the song of our great God. He's uh, the reason for the song. He is the beat of the song. And that's our next point tonight. This song has an awesome beat. Verses four to six. Uh, Just look at verse four and you see the reason for this song. For the Lord is great and is highly praised. He is feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. This song reminds us that the Lord is superior. Uh, We sang tonight, and I love this song, uh, Jesus is better. But this psalm says that Jesus is the best. He is supreme. He is above all other gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, the psalm says. Literally, uh, that word idols says the gods of the peoples are ungods or no gods or nobodies. That's an important reminder for the original hearers because every nation uh, had their god or their gods and the benefits of worshipping that god. So, for example, Ephesus in Turkey now, uh, they had the goddess Artemis. And goddess Artemis was attributed with the great wealth of the city. Well, the psalm says Artemis is an ungod. She's a nothing. She is a nobody. Why? Because verse 5. Because the Lord made everything. The Lord made the heavens. He made everything under the sun. He made the fruit that comes from worshipping these gods. Money, lifestyle, fame. Now, I'm sure there's, uh, there's not many people that we know that will go home after work and worship a wooden carved idol. Some people will, uh, but most won't. We don't have that kind of idolatry. But we know the gods of Sydney all too well, don't we? We know the idols of Korea, lifestyle, sex, postcode, property, comfort, success. The list goes on. And this psalm reminds us that the Lord made them. They are ungods. They're great gifts from the Lord, don't get me wrong. But they are terrible gods. They are ungods. A job is a good gift from the Lord. But it makes a lousy God. A house 
is a good gift from the Lord, but it won't save you. Relationships are a good gift from the Lord, but they're not to be worshipped. So often we get that wrong, don't we? I get that wrong. Uh, I'm driving through Mossman, and I think if I just had uh, that house uh, with one of those uh, fingerprinty things uh, that get into your your house, if I had that house, I'd be secure. My family uh, would be secure. Psalm says they are ungods. Do not worship them. See, the job uh, that gives us that financial security, it won't deliver. Uh, just look at uh, verse 6. It's the, I think it's the, I called it the James Blunt line. Verse 6, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. All that stuff we idolize and the people's lives that we covet, they are nothing compared to the Lord. Splendor and majesty strength and beauty. They are owned by the Lord. I wonder how many architects get that brief. Make me a a house of splendor and majesty. Uh, Make me a house that is strong and beautiful. Well, it is only truly delivered in the Lord because those those, um, attributes are owned by the Lord. Uh, William Cowper wrote this, The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. See, that's what this psalm is trying to do. It's trying to get us to put Jesus back in his proper place, above everything else, on the throne of our lives. So that that we will say to to the Lord, So that the nations will hear, Jesus is Lord. Jesus reigns. That's the beat of this psalm. Gives us a great beat. But it also gives us a melody. That's our third point this evening. A glorious melody, verses 7 to 9. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory of his name. It's a funny word, isn't it? Ascribe. Uh, Perhaps it's the school I went to, but I had to look it up. Uh, It means to attribute a quality to something. So to a person, uh, she's a nice lady, he's a top bloke. And in the case of this psalm, we are to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Uh, What I think it's saying in normal language is that we are to sing about God in the way that only God can be sung about. We're to sing in the right way. We're to sing in the right voice. We're to sing with the right tune. So if I sing, I'm H-A-P-P-Y. I'm H-A-P-P-Y. I think I am. I know I am. I'm H-A-P-P-Y. You're not going to think I'm happy, are you? You're not going to think I'm happy. And if I describe uh, my Matt Moran Aria dinner as oh, just a little bit better than McDonald's, you're not going to be running out the door to get down to Aria. Well, so too, if I describe what God has done for me in Jesus on the cross like it is root canal surgery, it's not an impressive song, is it? Now, I'm grumpy. I'm English. Uh, Grumpy is in my DNA. But verses 7 to 9 command me to talk about God with glory and strength. 
able to talk about him with glory and strength, the attributes that only he has. So I need to get excited. I need to say, I'm S-A-V-E-D. I'm S-A-V-E-D. I think I am. I know I am. I'm S-A-V-E-D. That would be a bit cheesy if you do it in the office. So (laughs) try not to do it. But we need to get excited about the cross. I'm S-A-V-E-D because God has sent Jesus into our world to rescue us from hell for the new creation. And that should excite us. And that should cause us to talk about him in a way that we can talk about nothing else. To look at the cross and get excited and speak of the God who has saved us. Of course, this goes beyond just the tone of our voice. This melody also hits the melody of our lives, the way in which we live. Look at verse 8 with me. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory of his name. Bring an offering and enter his courts. For the Old Testament hearers of this psalm, they were literally to go to the temple with their expensive, posh animal that cost them a fortune and give it to the Lord for slaughter. For us who live this side of the cross, we are to give God our lives. We're to give God our lives as an offering. To hand every day over to Jesus. To live as followers of Jesus. To put Jesus number one in our lives. To put him at the top of the list. To not only say the Lord reigns, but to submit to his reign. By giving Jesus our ambitions. By giving Jesus our priorities. By giving Jesus our best. So when we make decisions in life, we put Jesus first and let everything follow that. When a, decision, uh, when a decision comes before us, we work out uh, what puts Jesus first. See, Jesus can easily slip down the priority list, can't he? John Piper's famous line is, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's to be the melody of our lives. We're not to be people who come here on a Sunday and and sing, I love you, Lord, and then live as if he doesn't exist. We're not to say, I worship you, Jesus, and throw in the scraps of our life instead of the very best. We're not to be people like that. It's very easy to to be a, a fake worshiper, to appear to be a true follower of Jesus. And throw him the scraps of our life when no one's looking. But we are to give Jesus the very best. Because he has given us his very best. He's given us his life to give us our lives. He's given us his very best. And that is the song, that that is the glorious uh, melody of our song. Well, last uh, point tonight, verses 10 to 13, this song has a a joyful climax, a joyful climax. Uh, It's an extraordinary picture. If you look at, uh, you look at the uh, the picture of praise in verses 11 and 12 in response to the Lord's reign, just look at it with me. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them exult. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy. 
It's like a DreamWorks movie, isn't it? Uh, all, all the fields singing, and, and, and imagine all the little mice and all the little rabbits bopping away. The trees are shouting for joy. It's meant to catch our eye. We're meant to go, wow, even the trees think God is good. Did you, however, spot the reason uh, why all this uh, wildlife is singing, while this nature is singing? Have, have a look at the, the sandwich made by the bread of verses 10 and 13. The reason the trees are shouting for joy is that the Lord is coming to judge the earth. See verse 10? He judges the peoples. Verse 13, for he's coming to judge the earth. Now, the words joy and judgment don't go together normally, do they? Uh, I mention the judgment of God, and I immediately step into a preacher's cliche. Uh, And you think of those um, uh, people with the sandwich boards saying uh, God's judgment is coming. You step into the cliche, unless you take notice of how God's judgment is described here. Verse 10, he judges the peoples fairly. Verse 13, he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his faithfulness. See, his justice, his judgment is like no other. He will be completely fair. He is completely righteous. He is completely faithful to his promises to save those he's promised to save. That's also how God's, it's also um, God's judgment is what is going to restore our world. His perfect judgment of all things will restore all things. The things uh, that make us weep in the world will be uh, cast under his judgment. God will make a new world, a new heaven and a new earth, we are told in Revelation. We had Revelation 14 read out to us, didn't we? It's There's some slightly weird imagery in there. But the big image that we're to take away is a picture of God's saved people round the throne of Jesus singing a new song. They sang a new song before the throne, the verse says. So that's where history is headed. It's headed towards a new heaven and a new earth. A new song, a new heaven and a new earth where the hurt and pain of this world will be no more. And it will be achieved through the judgment of God. A friend here helped me um, polish up our mucky old table um, just before we went away. Uh, He came round, and it was kind of sticky and grimy from where the kids had uh, been at it. And he came round with uh, wire wool and uh, some chemical and and um, sanders and polish. And we got to this table and we pulled all the muck off with the wire wool and the chemicals. Then we got the sanders out and sanded out all the grime on this table. Uh, Then we polished it up beautifully and our table was as good as new. That's what God's judgment is going to do to this world. That's why the trees are singing. You see, as he judges the world, he 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 judges all the grotty bits of this world away, scrubs this world into perfection. The problem is, as we start to dwell on that and how God will do that and where he'll start and what he'll do it with, we realize that we are just as grotty as anything else in this world. 
Bible says it clearly. We are enemies of God. We deserve to be sanded back and destroyed. That's what we deserve. That's what would happen if it were not for Jesus. See, Jesus came uh, to earth after this psalm was written. And what did he do with the judgment of God? He took it on himself on the cross. He took the destruction that we should receive from a righteous God as grotty rebels in God's world. And he nailed it to the cross so that we might not face that judgment on the final day. Jesus is coming back. He will judge every single one of us. Nothing is hidden from him. And those who trust God's amazing rescue plan in Jesus will not face his judgment. It's an offer of a rescue like no other. That's what the Christian faith is about. That's why Jesus is Lord, so that we might know his rescue. For those who trust in Jesus, we can rejoice uh, with the trees and with the forest because the Lord has saved us. He's given us something to sing about. If you're not a Christian, speak to the Christian, the boy. You'll speak to someone here tonight and find out how you can sing that song for yourself. You see, as we realize, this is what the psalm is doing. As we realize that God's uh, that we uh, should face God's judgment, but he has saved us in Jesus. What the psalm is doing is it's thrusting us back to the beginning of Psalm 96 so that we can proclaim his salvation day to day. That's the new song. That's the fresh song that we can sing as we realize what we have in Jesus, what God has done for us in Jesus. Well, I want to challenge us over the next week, over the next year even, I want to challenge you to sing this song. As an exercise, uh, write the song of your salvation uh, and sing it metaphorically or uh, literally sing it. Thank God for the people who were placed in your life to explain the gospel to you. Thank God for the people who helped you understand what happened on the cross. And thank God that Jesus died for you in your place to rescue you from eternity in hell for eternity in this new perfect world. And then sing it to God. Sing it to God. Let it pepper your conversations uh, with the people you work with, the people you live with, and the people you hang out. Let it pepper that so that the nations will hear. We often think that uh, we have to go to the nations, and we should go to the nations, but God has given the nations to us, and we need to sing to them. So sing this song, friends. Sing this song of salvation. Sing this song with an awesome beat. Sing this song. uh, um, Sing this song with such a joyful melody. And sing this song with a joyful climax. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you that we do have something to sing about in Jesus. We, we praise you that we can sing of your saving works on the cross. Help us to sing this song. Help us to praise your name. Help us to ascribe glory and strength to you. 
And help us to look forward to that day when we will meet you and pain and suffering will be no more and we will be gathered round the throne singing a new song. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.